Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Well, hi, thank you so much for joining me. This is Dr. Fred. You're listening to another episode of Study, Grow, Know. Now, in the transcript, as usual, I've got a number of links sampling because there's just way too much out there to highlight. Honestly, it's difficult to uh, put it all on one page. So I've just chosen some that I think that are interesting and maybe that'll get you going for your research. And uh, I wanted to also note before I get into this um, particular episode, the main topic, I highlighted a video from a woman named Doreen Virtue last time. And what she said in that particular video that I highlighted, I have absolutely no problem with and agree with her fully. However, one uh, observant reader sent me a link to a video from a place called Apostasy Report. And what they are saying is that apparently virtue does the same thing. Many people like Beth Moore and others do. They claim, for instance, that Jesus told me, quote unquote, this is done to immediately give them a perceived higher level of authority than the person to whom they're speaking. You know, I recall this from my days in the charismatic movement years ago because it was commonplace. No one ever stopped to wonder about it because the charismatic movement is based on signs and wonders. So you expect that kind of thing. So when someone would come to you and say, hey, the Lord told me to tell you or something similar, how would you actually refute that? If you did, it would appear as though you were arguing with the Lord, and who wants to do that? But it is a grand way to gain authority over other people, even if the person coming to you is not necessarily trying to gain authority over you, but simply wants to share what they feel is on their heart, and that's important to understand what they feel. Well, unfortunately, my limited research, and I haven't had a whole lot of time to do this, but my research into Doreen Virtue tells me there is really quite a controversy surrounding her. I haven't studied into her other videos as much, and I don't know her history, except that she came from the New Age, but it's probably better to be safe rather than sorry, isn't it? So my only suggestion now where Virtue is concerned is to proceed with absolute caution. But all of this, really, this and all the links in uh, the transcript that I highlight bring me to the point of this article, which Psalm 37, 1 through 5 figures significantly. Now, recall that we are living in a Romans 1 world, and I've mentioned that before. I've written about it. There, in that chapter, Romans 1, Paul explicitly details what happens to any civilization that continues to refuse to acknowledge God and his truth, and in fact does whatever it can to push God away, in effect, attempting to live out Psalm 2. Now, this, of course, is a tragedy, absolute tragedy, because God meant for humanity to be in fellowship with him. But Satan's efforts to drag people away from God through sin result in exactly what Paul outlines in Romans 1. And everywhere we look in society today, we see Romans 1 coming alive in people whose consciences have been seared, which results in them developing reprobate minds, minds that are depraved, minds that do not work correctly. And now because of this, we basically have people who appear 
to us to be insane or insanely stupid who do not know how to define a woman, who believe men can get pregnant, who have no problem with men identifying as women and competing in women's sports, etc., 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 the list goes on. It's patently absurd, but it is all meant, all of it is meant to overthrow God's moral truth and his rule in society. But what is the antidote for authentic Christians? We know what the problem is, but what's the antidote? As we increasingly find ourselves dealing with people who have reprobate minds. You can't talk with them. You can't reason with them. Logic does absolutely no good. So there's really only one antidote, and it is found in Scripture. In fact, it is found throughout Scripture. Now, I had mentioned Psalm 37, 1-5 a while ago, and in fact, I had memorized it too. It was one of those passages where I just wanted to memorize it, and then I stopped repeating it to myself every day. And because of this, I was frustrated to learn that I didn't know it anymore. It's amazing how that happens, isn't it? Satan is there to just pull everything out from your brain with respect to God's word. He doesn't want us thinking about it. He doesn't want us praying it. He doesn't want us contemplating it. And he does not want us to have access to it. But it only took a minimum of time, really, for me to get back into the practice of repeating that section of scripture to myself and allowing his word to enrich my soul. So let's hear the word of the Lord here. Psalm 37, one to five, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto him. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So that text that I just read is so vivid, filled with promises that I can't think of any good reason not to memorize it, not to contemplate on it as often as possible. But let's break it down a bit. In verse 1, the psalmist, speaking on behalf of God, from God's perspective, tells us without equivocation that we should, quote, not fret because of evildoers, unquote. Now, in essence, we're told not to worry about them at all. That's easier than said than done, isn't it? I mean, really, in today's day and age. However, what I've noticed is that as I repeat that text to myself, My thoughts are lifted toward God and his plans and purposes. The idea here is that we should give no thought or time to those people who are remarkably evil, and by the same token, we should not become envious of workers of iniquity, verse 1b, desiring what they might have. So we shouldn't fret or be worried about the evildoer, and we certainly should not be envious of everything that the workers of, in, of iniquity have in life. What, why, would we, why would we be, really, if you stop to think about it, why would we be envious and fret over evildoers? Well, quite often, evil people seem to have a good deal of wealth 
and with it, many of the perks of being wealthy. They can go where they want to go. They have all the perks and privileges. They fly on their jets. They have their big yachts. They have ample housing here, there, and everywhere. They don't worry about a rise of inflation, including gas or food prices. They can handle it. And even though these evil people gained their wealth, most likely through often questionable or even nefarious means, they seem unaffected negatively by their own evil practices. But we don't see what's going on in their hearts, do we? They are probably very miserable when they're alone, and they only feel better when they're lording it over others in some form to remind them of their perceived power. God tells us not to worry about the evildoers and don't covet what the workers of iniquity have. Why does he tell us this? Well, the answer is provided in verse 2, and it is because, quote, they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb, unquote. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? Now, it may not happen tomorrow, today, the next day, the next month, the next year, but eventually evil people will be cut down and removed from life itself. You know, it's funny, each time I mow my lawn and I've got about an acre and a half to mow, I'm amazed at how nice it looks and it makes me feel as though I've accomplished something. Yet in between mowings, the weeds in the lawn grow faster and taller than the grass and stick out way above the grass as though they're lording it over the grass. I've tried to cull the weeds, but they eventually come back. And those sections of my lawn struggle. The weeds never seem to struggle. It's as though they need very, very little water, much less than the grass to survive and thrive. But when I get serious about combating the weeds, I may use a weed killer that won't harm the lawn. Then the weed dies, but it leaves a large brown spot where it used to be, which takes a while for the grass to fill that area in. The actual weed problem is only finally solved when weeds are killed, and I would have to stay on top of that to ensure it, because weeds are always popping up. Now, God is telling us that one day, evildoers and workers of iniquity, the weeds of this life, will be 100% gone from the face of the earth. That will be during the millennial kingdom, of course, and then eternity future beyond that. People will actually, during those days, look for evil people, but they won't find any. But for now, evildoers exist, and their very presence can negatively, and often does, negatively impact us. But what I appreciate about the first few verses of Psalm 37 is that God just doesn't tell us don't do that, but shows us the way how to do that. And this is how it's done throughout many passages of scripture. God promises that the evildoers will be taken care of and will be cut down and they will wither. They will fade from existence. That's God's department and that's God's responsibility. Verse 3 tells us what we are to do instead of fretting about evildoers and being envious of workers of iniquity. Verse 3 says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. So it turns out it's the exact opposite of fretting. It's trusting in God. So in order to trust in the Lord, we must first place our eyes on him and off evil people. We must look to him for his provision and to gain a new understanding. And we do that through the light, 
truth and living reality of his word. As we become more adept at trusting the Lord, we will do good things, things that please him. God will deal with evil people in his way and in his time. So instead of worrying about or fixating on evil people or their practices, we should focus on trusting the Lord and choosing to do good things. Again, the things that he commands us to do in his word and the things that bring him glory and cause spiritual maturity in us. Now, we cannot fixate on evil people and trust the Lord too. We can't do both. We should learn to shrug off evil people and get into the habit of following the Lord by doing good things. Don't be focused on evil people as if they're getting away with something. They're not. God keeps track and will deal with them in his time. For more on this, I suggest reading the entire book of Isaiah. It shows the process over and over again. Dwelling in the land, as mentioned in the verse, causes us to think of Israel in the land that God gave them in the Middle East. They should have remained in the land by trusting in him, but too often failed. And because of this, they were removed from the land for a time. Now, metaphorically, though, God wants us Christians to remain in our relationship with God actively and to feed on his faithfulness. This can only happen as we learn to trust in him and ignore what evil people are doing and continue to do good by being obedient to him and his will. Now, verse four is especially interesting. This is what the whole verse said. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of people take that verse and many verses like it out of context. They think it means that God will give us whatever we desire if only we have enough faith in him. If we do, then the sky is the limit. Well, that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying that our focus should be on God and taking absolute delight in him. Once we begin to conform our spirits to delighting in him, focusing on him, worshiping him for who he is, and growing in our love and devotion for and to him, he will begin to grant us the desires of our heart. But it is important to note that these desires will have undergone changes within us because of our focus getting to be on him. Christians who learn to adore, delight, worship, and love God for who he is and what he has done for us and who want desperately to see his will accomplished in their own life and in this world, also notice a clear change in inner desires. There is a growing desire to want the things that please God, not the things that please self anymore. These particular Christians who live like this want to live as Jesus lived, in all things being obedient to the Father and bringing him glory. Too many Christians, even yet today, seem focused on a better car, job, improvements in family life, this or that, Whatever, God wants us to be focused on adoring him because there is nothing better that we can do in this life or in the next than be a channel of worship 
and praise to our great God. In the next life, we will do it automatically because we will have the sin nature removed. In this life, it is often very difficult because of that sin nature that remains with us. But he will align our desires with his so that our desires reflect his desires. He will then give us those renewed and changed desires that are now conformed to his will. Verse five is similar to verse four, which says this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. So if we commit, and that means literally actively give our ways to the Lord, we will trust him. And he will then bring it to pass. In other words, as I come to him with my problems that I face, and I really don't know what to do about some of them, I can with confidence know that God will direct my steps and provide me with his answer. He will guide me in that. I will see the answer taking shape because I'm leaning on him to do so, even though I may not know the solution going into it. God will direct, he will provide, and he shall bring it to pass. He cares that deeply for us. I've seen this happen many times in the past year or so in my own life as I've come to him with limited knowledge, limited understanding, and zero ability to see my own future. He knows all things. And as I've given him the issues I face, he has been faithful to guide me through each of those issues. It's when I run on ahead of him that I usually get into trouble. So in a day when it is extremely easy to focus on evil people and even tend to want what workers of iniquity have, God's word says we should ignore them. We should instead focus our attention on trusting him and doing good. It's a choice we must make daily, sometimes moment by moment. If we focus on what evil people are doing, we will find ourselves troubled by that and it will affect our outlook on life. And this isn't to say, by the way, that we should put our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on. It means we should not allow what's going on to become the major focus of our lives. I can do nothing about evil people and neither can you. That's God's department. And he has promised throughout scripture that he will deal with it. We Christians need to instead focus on trusting God and focusing on what he is doing in this world. Thanks so much for joining me today. And I pray and Till we meet again, God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 